0: and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Lord Jesus, these are your words. You spoke them long ago. Lord, we would ask that you would speak even now to our hearts as we listen. Lord, you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We do worship you. One day we will see you face to face. But Lord, until then, we pray that your word, by your power and by your spirit, would prepare us to live faithfully until that day. And Lord, I would ask that every, every heart, every soul hearing my voice would fall more deeply in love with you. And we would see you for who you truly are. And your word reveals your character to us. And so, Lord, we would ask, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Let us see your glories in your word, your wonder, the truth of your word. Let us be convinced your word is true. And Lord, I pray also that you would fortify our hearts and souls to endure what we will face. And so we ask for receptive hearts to hear these words this morning as spoken to us because you, you're still speaking. You, you do speak to your children through your word. And so, Father, I ask for your help. Let me speak clearly. Lord Jesus, help me to say only what you would want me to say. And I pray that your people would be edified, that we would be encouraged in your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. So we jump back into the Beatitudes. Um, we go back in time to the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we have been looking. So I want you to imagine, if you could, uh, this side of a mountain with a grassy slope where Jesus sat and was able to teach um, these, these words and to speak this particular sermon. If you recall, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, we're told that um, His disciples came near to him. Jesus sat down and the crowds gathered around him. And Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. So imagine a grassy field that's not covered in snow and it's not windy and there's not trains going by, uh, yet a peaceful place where where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he has begun this sermon with an introduction, which we call the Beatitudes, his list of blessings it is striking to me as you go back and, and, and look at what Jesus says, that he begins every sentence with this word blessed, which can be translated as happy. Um, blessed are you or happy are you who these things are true about. And then he moves through them. And today we land at the very end of that introduction to this sermon, this last and final beatitude, verse 10, which has to do with Persecution. And so Jesus is, is that's where we end up, is blessed are those, verse 10, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that's the eighth word blessed, and some would say, ah, but look at verse 9, Todd, or verse 10, verse 10 has, um, uh, bl- I'm sorry, verse 11 has blessed again. And so there's, there's nine of them and not eight. I think there's only eight Beatitudes. This blessing to the persecution, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness in verse 10, uh, is simply expanded in verses 11 and 12. Jesus is still talking about persecution. So he's, he's on the same topic. He just gives us more information in verses 11 and 12. But the, the thrust of what he is saying is in verse 10. And so that uh, is this final Beatitude. And, and yet you'll notice, uh, we get a clue that that's accurate, I believe, because blessed are those who are persecuted for what's their blessing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen that before. Flip back one page to the very beginning of this, or if you don't have to flip, I got to turn it in my Bible. Uh, the first beatitude, Jesus said the same thing. The same reward was promised. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we have this little envelope that Jesus is telling us. Here's the the end of the introduction, and it includes this notion, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, so Jesus is is giving us the main point of this entire uh, theme of what he's talking about, which is the kingdom of heaven. You'll see this again as we read through Matthew, the kingdom of heaven will be a theme that arises again and again throughout this gospel, and in the next two chapters as we work through the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see it again in the, this uh, Sermon on the Mount. The theme of the, the, the kingdom, that the kingdom is here, uh, that is the primary point Jesus is making. What is different about this time period in history that Jesus has stepped into, he's ushered in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven has come. This was the very first thing that Jesus even began preaching. If you look back in chapter 4, verse 17, when Jesus started preaching, the first thing he said was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the kingdom of, of heaven has come. Something about God's kingdom has come into the world, and Jesus is saying, You need to face this reality. By repeating that phrase again and again, he brings up to us the reality of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. So as we bump into that, the question you have to ask yourself is, do I want to be a part of this kingdom? If the kingdom of heaven has come into the kingdom of mankind... Do I want to be in it? Am I in it? How do I know if I'm in that kingdom? What do I have to do in order to enter into this kingdom? This is what Jesus is forcing us to focus on. So that's one question for every one of us this morning. Am I in the kingdom? How do I know I'm in the kingdom of heaven? Can I even know? And and as Jesus has unfolded these Beatitudes, it is a kind of picture of what is, it's the picture of the character of the person who is in the kingdom. So let's go back, just for the sake of review, since it's been so long. Happy New Year, by the way, for those of you who are returning. Right, we, who remembers where we even were in the Beatitudes that was so long ago? Well, just jump back with me, flip up to the beginning of chapter 5, because we see the first blessing Jesus pronounces is, "Blessed who are those uh, who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's talking about is, poor in spirit means you realize you spiritually lack... The thing that is required for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's righteousness. God's a holy God. And he is holy, holy, holy. Which means he's incomprehensibly more holy than you can imagine. Holy, holy, holy. That's who our God is. And so poor in spirit means those who come to God and want to enter his kingdom come realizing they have no way to get in. I don't have any righteousness. I don't have anything within me that would commend me to God. So I can't get me in. Assuming you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, how are you going to get in if righteousness is a requirement? You come poor in spirit. You come to him and say, I, I, I'm empty. I have nothing to give you. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross, I come and bring myself to you. And so I am poor in spirit. And the promise is, those people will receive the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. People who come to God like that will be blessed. And secondly, the second beatitude is, those who mourn, right? Blessed are those who are, are mourning, for they shall be comforted. And what are they mourning about? We saw, while we do know something I do have within me is sin, I come to the kingdom of heaven, I stand at the gates, and I'm filled with wretchedness. There is within me wickedness, and all you have to do is pull out in front of me and you'll see it, right? Within us are our aspects of darkness and sinfulness that none of us even want to imagine or admit, and yet, if we're honest... This is the the state of our heart. And so those who want the entering into the kingdom of heaven come mourning over the sinfulness of themselves and those around them. The promise is they shall be comforted. The third blessing is those who are meek. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Again, this points to this humility of coming to God and knowing we don't deserve to come to him. Sometimes if you ask me, how are you? I will answer better than I deserve. I, I know I, if, I, if God gave me what I deserve, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be gone. I'd be a dead man. And so yet God is merciful to us. And, and Jesus says, they, you'll inherit the earth. You'll, you'll get blessings. Those who come humbly to the Lord will receive blessing. Fourth. Well, what, what do I need most then, Lord Jesus, is blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness is, is the fourth blessing. And the promise is you'll be satisfied. So if you come to Christ, you come to God to enter his kingdom, and you're yearning, you're hungering for, and thirsting for righteousness, the promise of God is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be given it. You will be satisfied. You will be filled with my righteousness. I will give that to you as a gift. And what is the effect of righteousness when it enters your life? It's it's beatitude number six, purity of heart. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. So when God comes in righteousness, hearts begin to be purified. This is a hint of the process of sanctification. We become changed inwardly. And so pureness of heart and the promise is you'll see God. God grants his righteousness to you and he begins to work in your life. You'll see him. You will get there. He, in his spirit, will work within you to bring you to that place of standing before the Lord and seeing him. And those who have seen God, who are at now at peace with God, you can't help but want to spread that peace so blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. I will adopt you into my family. That peacefulness that settles in upon us, when we're right with God, we are then able to share with everyone around us. And so blessed are the peacemakers who share that peace of how we can be at peace with God. And then lastly, that brings us to the final one, which is where we're at this morning, is Persecuted. I just want to stop for a second. These, these beatitudes, how wonderful, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are, are coming to the Lord knowing they have nothing to commend themselves. They mourn over their sin. They are humble. Humble. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. They are merciful people. They're pure in heart, peacemakers. Do you want to work with some people like that? Do you want to live near people like this would you welcome them at your Christmas table, all people who live like that? And you would think, well, they'll be happily embraced, right? What does this next uh, beatitude say? Uh, you're gonna be persecuted for this. This kind of character that is manifested in your life, if you're part of the kingdom, remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. All of these qualities are describing believers, Christians, Christians and you won't be welcomed in this world. What Jesus is saying is you will be persecuted. So blessed are the, per, uh, uh, the those who are persecuted, right? For theirs for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So when righteousness comes into your life, it doesn't cause the world to stand up and applaud you. This world will not praise you for becoming a righteous person. In fact, what Jesus is saying is you will be persecuted. For what? That's the question. So as we think about this together, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So there's a persecution who comes, uh, but as we consider this, let's, let's begin with what Jesus is not saying. So if you read this carefully, sometimes we can think, well, blessed are the persecuted. And we just stop there. Right? People who are going through hardship and difficulty, they're going to be blessed. That's not what Jesus is saying here. There's a particular blessing here for people who are persecuted for a particular reason. So he does not say, blessed are you when you are persecuted for your own foolishness. You know Christians like this, right? We, we, we sometimes, we, we mess up. We, in our own sinfulness, we can get ourselves into trouble. And, and we, we'd like to call it persecution, Right? For example, if you know the requirements of your work and you can't do anything other than... Let me see here. What, what's going on? <laughs> right? And you're, repeatedly you are warned, get off your phone. And you get fired for that. I'm persecuted at work because I was reading my Bible. Right. No, you weren't doing your job. That's not the persecution Jesus is talking about here. So we're not blessed because of our own foolishness or our own fancy, right? Some of us want to, we get so overzealous about our own little issues that we, we, we found a book or we found some thing that we think is the answer to all your problems. We have to tell everybody. And so we push our agendas and, and issues that are unique to us. And we can do so sometimes to the point where nobody wants to be around you. We become so pushy about certain things. And we say, well, I'm just telling the truth. That's so all I'm doing. That's not the kind of persecution that we're saying here. So we're not, we're not, Jesus doesn't bless persecution for our own foolishness, our own sinfulness, or our own zealousness. And sometimes we can get very zealous about, we Christians, about particular theological issues. And we can think, if anybody disagrees with us, we hold them sometimes very strongly especially eschatological viewpoints about the end of time, when Jesus is coming back, and all of these sorts of things about which there's lots of, of, of differing opinions on Scripture, and we're wrestling, trying to understand, but some of us can hold so dogmatically to certain viewpoints that we begin to think, well, if you disagree with me, you must not be a Christian. And we push, right? So, and so people separate from us, and we say, well, I'm just being persecuted for telling the truth. I'm just being persecuted for explaining Scripture. Sometimes that's not the case. We have to be very careful. What Jesus is saying here is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, right? Not our own sinfulness, not our own political opinions or persuasions or issues or agendas that we have. And so Peter picks up on this. He says, let none of you in in 1 Peter 4, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer or a meddler, so he says, some of you are going to suffer, but don't suffer like that. Don't suffer for sinfulness. Don't suffer, suffer for your own tendency to, to be greedy. Don't suffer for doing evil. And don't suffer, like some of you can suffer from meddling. You just, you're just sticking your nose in where it doesn't belong. That's not the persecution we're talking about here. So here, Christians, let us not be uh, pronouncing persecution because of our own persuasions or our own agendas. But what is Jesus saying? He is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now, what's righteousness? In short, it's being like God. It is to do what is right or to do what God requires. That's righteousness. To do what is right or to do what God requires. In other words, to be like Him. So righteousness here that, that brings a blessing and also persecution is when you live like God commands you to live. When you're obedient and you're living like that and then you suffer for it, that's the kind of blessing that comes. So when you're righteous, you're, you're living a holy life and you suffer for that that is the kind of thing that this blessing comes to. And so Peter, also impressed upon this, he heard, Jesus, he was there listening to Jesus, preaching these words, and he, he quotes it again in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. He's, he's quoting Jesus here. And so he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That's the point. Part of the point of this message today is to encourage you to do what is right despite the consequences. Part of what we're doing this morning, I think God is calling us to be more bold in living like him, not sinful us, living like him. And that's the call. Are we living holy lives that manifest the character of God? If so, you need to know that persecution will come, but don't let that stop you. It's what Peter is saying. And so be encouraged to do what is right. So that's verse 10. That's the point. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the righteousness sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's the sermon. That's Jesus' main idea. When you do what is right and you suffer for it, God will bless you, is what Jesus is telling you. Then in verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, do you need a little more on that? Do you need a little more encouragement on persecution and understanding what exactly I'm talking about? He gives us a little expansion. And so verses 11 and 12, let me just read that again. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, Jesus has done something. Did you see the shift All of the other beatitudes are blessed are those who, and then he he offers a statement. Here, he said, blessed are you. Jesus gets very personal. That's a shift. So I imagine he's looking Todd in the eye at this point. Blessed are you, Tim, when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. He's getting very personal. And he does something absolutely astounding. He inserts himself in this. He says, on my account. So, Jesus has now taken everything to a different level. So, first observation. What you need to take away from this is, persecution is certain. If you want to live like Jesus, you can be sure that you'll be persecuted for it. Because he says, and look at the verse with me, does he say, if you are persecuted? He says, when others revile you, blessed are you when others revile you. Not if they revile you, but when they revile you. So persecution, Jesus is saying, is certain. You, you need to expect it. Don't be surprised at this. And again, who is listening? I'm amazed Peter quotes Jesus again. First Peter chapter 4, Peter writes... Do not be surprised, beloved, at this fiery trial. What's the next word? When it comes, right? When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. What's his point? Persecution for being a Christ follower is not strange. It's normal. You should expect some suffering, some persecution for being a follower of Jesus. So don't be surprised, Don't be surprised when when you're manifesting holy character at work and you suffer for it. Don't be shocked when, when you allow the teachings of Jesus to control your morals and values. Don't be surprised when you suffer for that. Peter calls it a fiery trial. He's applying what Jesus has said. So Peter taught this. Don't be surprised at persecution if you're living like Jesus. Paul taught the same thing. In 2 Timothy, Timothy is a young pastor. Paul's writing to him to give him instruction, and he says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's certain. If you want to live a godly life, if you want to live like Jesus, you will be persecuted. And Paul taught this everywhere he went. All over Asia. In Acts chapter 14, we read this. When they, Peter and uh, Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, You uh, Imagine Paul... He's come, he's preached, he's planted a little church, he's gone off to another city, gone to another city, he comes back, and he says, I need to tell you something. I want to encourage you, continue in the faith, and you need to know, it is through not just a couple, (laughs) you know, one or two tribulations, many tribulations we will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Paul is teaching, again, persecution is normal. This is, if you want to live like Jesus, you're going to suffer in some sense is what he is saying. And Jesus gives us a little explanation. How does this persecution come? So verse 11, again, look at with me. He says, first of all, it's verbal, and then it'll get physical. He he hints at this Uh, very clearly in in two phrases. He says, first, it's the verbal attack, right? When others revile you, and to revile is to criticize, to mock, or insult, so criticize, mock, or insult. When somebody reviles you. Have you ever been reviled for being a Christian? Have you ever been mocked, you know, uh, at school, at work? Somebody laughing at you, insulting you for being a, a Christian and carrying the name of Christ? That's what he's saying is, is going to happen. And then he says again, and they'll utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. They're going to dream up stuff to criticize you because of your connection to Christ and utter all kinds of lies that will be baseless. They won't be true, not factual, but they will utter everything against you, evil lies against you. And then, so it's the verbal, that's where it will start. And then Jesus says it will also get physical in the word persecute. When they persecute you, which that's a deepening of the animosity. Moving from the verbal to persecuting, the root word of persecute means to chase from place to place. It is, I want you out of here, and I'm going to attack you. And so if you don't run, I'm going to hurt you. That's, that's the, the root word of persecute. It is to, to cause to suffer, to harass and oppress, but to chase after with physical intention of bringing harm. And so we see this progression from verbal attacks into uh, physical attacks. And, and yet, here, here Jesus is, is, is doing something new. And, and look with me again at verse 11. Why do these things happen? Why do these things happen? It is because of Jesus. Look, at blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Why? From on, on my account. Do you see what Jesus has done? So the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now he is saying, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. He has, he has put himself in a parallel position with righteousness, structurally. He is saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like the righteous one. And so now it's about me. He's, he's placing himself in a place... Remember, righteousness is to do what God requires... He's pointing at what his mission is. And he's also revealing that mission will not be praised in this world. It won't be welcomed on my account. And imagine yourself on that grassy hill. Go back with me and you're listening to him say this. Young preacher, he's just getting started. Young guy, he's about 30-ish, you know. Uh, not impressive looking. And he's, he's, he's got a way about him that's amazing. And yet, when he says this, You you can embrace blessed are you when you do what God wants you to do. And now Jesus says, blessed are you when you do what I am going to tell you to do, and you're persecuted because of that. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of me? And if I'm sitting there listening, I'm thinking, who does this guy think he is? Who would talk like this? Jesus does. Because he he understands from the earliest points of his life— what his mission is to be, and who he is called to live like. And He knows he is going to be opposed. He's, he's giving a little hint to the followers who are listening. If you want to follow me, it is not going to be easy. And, and suffering will come. So he's, he's preparing his disciples for the future. I think that's part of the point of this message today, is to prepare you for suffering The Bible does this a lot. It gets you ready to endure animosity from those who are blinded by the evil one, right? We're not angry with people who persecute us. They don't know what they're doing. And so when you stand up for biblical truth and somebody yells at you, and that's verbal assaults, or mocks you or makes fun of you, then you need to know that they don't understand what they're doing. But it's going to come, and you need to be prepared for it. Right? I, I can think of, of one instance in high school when um, the basketball team and I happened to be in the same room together, and I, I, I was the brunt of the jokes because I tried to live out my faith, and some friends of mine encouraged me, why don't you carry your Bible? Just take your Bible to school with you. Public school, by the way. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for Jesus. And I started carrying my Bible and I got, I got made fun of. And then, miraculously, in the providence of God, one of those basketball players uh, wound up, I lost my locker partner midway through the year, and I got assigned a locker partner. Um, that's, that's an injustice. Nobody should have to suffer. Uh, and, and it was one of the guys on the basketball team who had made fun of me. I was like, good grief, I got him as a locker partner. Um, and we wound up in the car together one day, needed a ride, and he said to me, man, I respect you. And I was like, you mock me. What are you talking about? (laughs) You respect me. And he said, but you stand for something. I just just go with the flow. I don't have anything to stand on in my life. And it it amazed me because what I realized, the guy who was mocking me uh, the deep soul of that guy, he's looking for something solid in this world. He's, he's testing to see, can you handle this? Is your convictions really firm? Or are you, are you just part of a crowd and you're just going along and you know, repeating sound bites and, and whatever? He was looking for truth. And that led to some interesting discussion. But you need to realize you're going to be persecuted and for the sake of those who God will call to himself through your persecution, you need to be able to stand firm. And this word is, is providing a grounding to keep you going in your faith, in the face of, re, of animosity and hostility and, and also reviling. Because Jesus knows what's coming. Look at, listen to what he said to his disciples, John 15, 18. If the world hates you, this is just before he's crucified. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. In verse 20, you remember the word that I said to you? He's talking to his disciples. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. They're like, yeah, Jesus, we remember. Well, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you but all these things they will do on account of my name. Here it is again, saying the same thing on account of my name. But they don't know me, right? They're going to persecute you on account of my name because you look like me. You live like me. They will persecute you, but you need to know they've already done that to me. And, and what amazes me is how many of us think, well, Jesus went through all the persecution. and I don't have to. I'm exempt. And, and Jesus' words come back. If you're not, the servant is not greater than the master. If holy Jesus, who was perfect in every way and completely sinless, sweet Jesus, if he was persecuted, how much more then will unsweet us and sinful us have to walk through that same pathway? If he went down a road of suffering and persecution, how much more will we? And again Peter is listening to these words. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. And so he says in 1 Peter 4:13, "In so far rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed." And then he goes on in verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. Right? That's, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to carry the name of Christ on you. It is to bear the name of Jesus, meaning you represent him. To be a Christian is not just because you were born in a particular place. It's, it means you live like someone. You're following someone. Someone has taught you and tells you how to live your life, and we are to live according to that. And for that reason, when we are persecuted because we look like Jesus, then he says, you be blessed. My blessing will be upon you. And Peter says, don't lose heart in those moments. God's glory rests upon you. So how should we respond, Christian, when we are are, are being persecuted for the name of Christ or for the sake of righteousness, how should we respond? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 12, go back to Matthew with me, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How should you respond when you're being persecuted because you're a Christian? Not because you're being persecuted. Mean or rude or harsh or unkind, none of that. But when you're being persecuted because you're you're living like Jesus wants you to live, how should you respond? Jesus says, rejoice and be glad with great rejoicing. Why? Because you're being persecuted? Do you delight in the pain? No. He says, rejoice because your reward in heaven is great. Keep your mind on the reward that will be given to you because it is great. And, and, and I, if you're like me at this point, I'm asking, well, what's the reward, Jesus? What is it? What do we get? A, a golden couch? Or, I don't know. What, what, you know, what? And he, he doesn't tell us, does he? He just says, rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. Well, he gives us a clue. It's great. Now, imagine a great person saying something is great. Jesus is the greatest person. He's the greatest human being. And he says, this is a great reward, right? If he is a great person, he ought to know what a great reward is. And so if you have a very small imagination, you saying great might not mean anything, but Jesus, whose imagination is unlimited, says there's a great reward, then it's great. He doesn't go much beyond that. So I don't know exactly what this reward is, but we also know he does give us a little clue Uh, He says this reward ought to keep you going. It's great enough to to provide a present motivation for causing you to endure the suffering. And you know that is what motivated Jesus to endure the cross? The promise of reward? Right? Hebrews 12 tells us this. Verse 2. Look to Jesus. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had God the Father holding out joy before him, saying, you endure this, there is great joy to be had on the other side of this persecution. And Jesus endured. He he cherished the reward of God the Father more than the absence of persecution. That's what we're being called to do in this passage, to cherish obeying Christ more than the absence of being insulted for the name of Christ. We are, we are to cherish faithfulness to Jesus more than we cherish freedom from being maligned because of Him. And I think another reason why Jesus doesn't tell us fully of what the reward is is because I think it's indescribably beautiful and incomprehensibly glorious. I, I don't think we can fully understand heavenly reward. i I'll give you a couple of verses. Uh, Paul was granted, you know, a glimpse of of paradise. He was granted the ability to see into heaven. And you know what he said? He reported the things that I saw were of a surpassing greatness so much that I can't even speak about it. I, I don't even have the words to describe what I saw. And then Paul also says, this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comprehension. This this suffering that we must endure while we're on this cursed and broken earth doesn't even compare to the glories that will be granted to us if we faithfully live here for the sake of the name of Jesus. He also says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the imagination of mankind the great glories of of, of what God has prepared for those who love him right? Inimaginable greatness God has shared to us. It's incomprehensible. I don't think we could fully even grant it if he could tell us. But what does he say? He says, rejoice, back in verse uh, 12 of Matthew 5, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I think Jesus is giving us a hint. The rewards that the prophets get Maybe similar to those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness and for the sake of the name of Jesus. Similar rewards. He takes you to them. What is happening to you is happening just like it happened to them. And so those Old Testament prophets were persecuted and now you too are, are, are being persecuted for the sake of the name of Jesus. So endure. There is a great reward before you. Now the question is, can you keep your mind there? Can you, can, that's what living by faith is, by the way. It is trusting that the words of Jesus are more true than the things you can put your hands on. That's what faith does, believes the promises of God. So what, what have we seen? Let me just summarize. One question, this forces us to think about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And my question to you, every one of you, are you do you want to be in the kingdom of heaven? Are you in the kingdom of heaven? If you are, are are you living like you are in the kingdom of heaven? If you're not, do you want to be in the kingdom? There is a way you can be in the kingdom. We've seen salvation coming by faith, by trusting, by believing, by admitting you have no righteousness of your own, by looking in faith to Jesus who gives righteousness, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to receive his Holy Spirit. Those are the ways to enter the kingdom through Jesus, Jesus alone. He's the one who's righteous. He is also the one that we're talking about being blessed for being persecuted uh, because of his name. And second, the children, as children of God, we disciples are called to live like him. We are called to live like God has called us to live and to honor the only son whom he sent. And my question is, well, are you living like him? Right? If, if you have never experienced persecution in your life, any kind, verbal, physical, whatever, because of the name of Jesus, do you look enough like him then? At some point, every person who carries the name of Christ will be mocked or insulted or, or criticized or said you're stupid or you're out of your mind. Or do you really believe, I never will. A, a mom at a, at a soccer match one time was talking about the Bible, talking about some of the difficult passages, and, and I explained what the Bible says about her hot button issue, and she said, you really believe that's true? And it was in that tone of voice like, I'm talking to an idiot. I was like, yes ma'am, I do believe it's true. I, I couldn't stand and preach if I didn't think this was true if I didn't base my life on what Jesus is talking about. So, the persecution will come if you're living like Jesus. Are you ready for it? Now, don't go seeking it. We are not called to seek persecution. But we are called to be ready for it and not shrink away from it. Right? Don't force the situation. Don't start making situations, "Ah, I'll, I'll get persecuted for the name of Jesus. You get on the train tomorrow morning and, do you know about Jesus? Bam, you know. <laughs> don't do that. But if somebody does punch you in the nose for the sake of Jesus and you're living appropriately, pray for him. Don't be angry. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. But don't shrink back to speak the truth of who Jesus is. And then lastly, when you're persecuted because of Jesus, rejoice and be glad for great is a reward in heaven. So be faithful, Christians. We are called to keep our mind on rewards that last, not on those that are fleeting and fly away. We are called to lay down our lives for the sake of the name of Jesus. And if he is the means of eternal life, then we ought to be willing to endure all things for the sake of those who need to hear about him. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we sit and think about this, I can think of a dozen times when I have, have shrunk away from standing up for your name. I could give many examples when I failed to boldly proclaim your name. I failed to offer a word of hope. When I intentionally... Uh, avoided situations where I would have to speak the truth. And yet, Lord, your word invites us to be fortified in our faith, to be ready for persecution that will come because of your name. And Father, I I ask for forgiveness for me and for all of us in the moments that we we have not lived up to the high calling with which we have been called. And Jesus, I would ask you, would you prepare the hearts of those of us who love you and who cherish all that you have done? Would you fill us with your spirit so that we can stand true? Would you grant grace, grant forgiveness, but also right now grant us strength so that with a, a renewed determination in, in, a, in a new year that we will not be shy about saying that we are followers of Jesus. Would you give us opportunities, Lord Jesus, to speak about the hope that we have, the great unshakable hope. And Father, would you grant grace to your children so that the past failures would not keep us from boldly living for you in the upcoming days. Would you you grant us a faith to believe, Lord Jesus, that your sweet promise is true. You will grant a great reward for those of us who do suffer for your name. And Father, keep us faithful. Keep us faithful through whatever we will find this week. And Lord, if there are those in this room who do not yet know if they are in your kingdom, would you please let today be a day that they enter in Let today be a day when they cry out to you for salvation and forgiveness and grace and love and adoption. And Lord, there will be people at the end of this service who will stand ready to pray with anyone who wants to talk about, am I in the kingdom or not? Lord, let the day be today when many will enter into your kingdom, I pray. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.